What what is the good about the Dutch culture? Um, many, many good things. I love the Dutch generally. Um, they're very direct, and that is true. And that is actually my favorite part of Dutch culture. Hey everyone, this is David coming to you from the beautiful city of Amsterdam. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Designers FM podcast, where we like to tell stories in and through design. And today we'll be doing that by interviewing not only a dear friend, but also an amazing design thinker. We will be talking about his experience living and working in different countries and cultures, and how sports and design are not so different. He studied law at Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia, and then his journey went on from Tuscany, Italy, until he finally settled down in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, where he's now working at We Are You. Some of the more familiar names on his portfolio are Booking.com and Bugaboo, the world-famous stroller company. So he's an Australian digital strategist and designer living in Amsterdam. He specializes in strategic innovation, strategic and foundational product formation, and full-spectrum design. While his experience is broad and applicable to any industry, he presently specializes in the fintech space with clients large, small, local, and global. This is his LinkedIn text, by the way. That's why it's so boring. Um, He is Toma Nulturai. Welcome, Toma. Thank you. Boring and buzzwordy, I might add. Exactly. So you must be really honored to be our first guest. We are happy to have you on the show. Um, This introduction was pretty vague and boring. So tell me, what makes you special as a designer? And why should other designers care about your story? Um, yeah. What makes me special as a designer is the same thing that I think makes every uh, hopefully good designer special. And it, it's it's who they are, um, their unique story and their unique process, um, their own way of thinking, their own way of approaching things. And I'm no different in that regard. So I, I certainly have my own perspective on things and my own process. And uh, that gets results that you know people can come close to, but uh, make mine unique um, as with other people's, I think. Okay, well, we'll get to to, uh, to um, your process a little bit later, but let's first go to um, uh, your story. Um, Lodjure, if I'm correct, Albanian name, Albanian roots. Yeah. Um, born in Australia, lived in both Italy and now living in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what's the best and worst about all these cultures? And let's start with Albanian because that will most likely get you killed for answering the question. <laughs> I was going to say, what's the best about Albanian culture? They are um, very, they, they really are strong people. Um, and, and Hey, no, I think, I think mentally um, they are, they are quite strong um, and I mean, if they if they put their minds to something, they will they will get it done. And it's a very it's a Balkanite thing. It's, you could say the same about Serbians or you know, Croatians or perhaps even Montenegrins. But um, perhaps, perhaps. Very, perhaps very very high <laughs> very hard headed people. Uh, but they get they can get shit done. But on, on the flip side of that, um, the bad of it, they apply themselves to um, the wrong things, and then they get the wrong kind of shit done. And that's how they tend to run crime uh, across Europe and in any other place they land. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, like, be more specific, but you already did that crime. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, largely. Like, they have a reputation for it. So I'm not, I'm not breaking any secrets here. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I always enjoy watching Albanian um, uh, soccer matches or football matches, as we call it in Europe, because um, you, could, you could sense this get shit done passion that it's on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot of that. Yeah, very yep. fiery. So, um, moving on to Australian. 
Mm. What's the best and worst about that culture? In your perspective, of course, more yeah. opinions. The worst, I think the best is that they are, um, for the most part, pretty relaxed and nice people. Um, they, they genuinely are. Um, the worst part um, is that they don't really have a culture. <laughs> I mean, everyone has a culture. It's, it's, it's Except for Americans. I mean, even Americans have a culture. It's a shit culture. Um, so I mean, it's inevitable. Just existing means you have a culture uh, generally. But uh, the kind of culture they have is not particularly well defined or, or refined, I should say. Yeah. So that's the, the the good thing is that they're laid back. The bad thing that they basically lack a culture. Um, so then you moved from Adelaide, Australia to Italy. Mm. Um, tell us about uh, Italians. Mm. Um, I mean, they have a reputation, right? And, and, and for good, I mean, um, the outstanding food. Uh, very... They're quite the assholes until you actually get in with them, um, and then they're your best friends, and that's actually how they are. Um, so when you're when you're close to them, you're really in. Uh, you're like you become like family, um, and that was genuinely my experience. So it was very hard to make connections there and make friends, but once I did, they still are to this day, um, and that's both the good and and the bad of their culture. Yeah, uh, but they do. How much help. time? How much time did you spend there in Italy? Five years total. Five years. Yeah. Um, Can you speak some? Yeah, yeah, I speak Italian. I speak I mean, Italian. A little bit? I, I mean, not can I open yeah, just Actually, now. can I say something now? Um, oh, Jesus. It always sounds corny when people do that. Just say some swear words. It's always easier. What about fanculo, David? Thank you. Andiamo avanti. Grazie. Prego, prego. So we move on to the most important above um, of the four, uh, the Dutch culture. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. First, let's start with the, with the good because that's... It's like there's an abundance of good things in Dutch culture. <laughs> Says the Dutchman. Um, what, what is the good about the Dutch culture? Um, ma many good things. I love the Dutch generally. Um, they're very direct and that is true. And that is actually my favorite part of Dutch culture. It's, I, I did fit right in um, when I moved here. And I didn't even notice it. Like people, you know, you have, you have the reputation of being direct. I'm like, huh, are they? Huh? A bit stupidly because I myself was always very direct. So it just kind of, I just kind of fit in. Um, I think made that, in heaven. Yeah, it kind of was. Uh, is um, what's it? What's the bad side of Dutch culture? Um, you know, you you have a reputation of being cold, which is not true. Um, but I do think that there is there is a there's a there's a a boundary around the closeness that you can have with Dutch people. So you can. It's not true that you're cold. You're not cold, but you never get completely warm. Is my experience. Do you have an example? Um, okay, so I can see any of my neighbors or um, my Dutch colleagues, and we get along famously well. Um, you know, have a laugh, have good conversations. We can talk about anything I can talk about with other people, but there's a certain vibration that's missing. Like you have it with the Italians you get close to, you feel that warmth, kind of like family, right? I've, I'm, I'm yet to really experience that with Dutch people. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I would want to say fuck you, but that's another bad thing for that culture, so I won't. Yeah. Um, so we, before we dive deeper into your story, um, I want to start with um, 11 questions, actually, to get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. um, I also believe you play basketball. Still yes. do? Yes. Yep. We'll get to that later. Um, so let's start with the first one. So iOS or Android? 
Mm, iOS, uh, not by a lot, but uh, yeah, definitely iOS. Um, and what do you think about the, the other Android in this case? Well, look, man, I used Android in the early days and I was a full Android fanboy. I even blogged for an Android website. Um, and then for, I just, I don't know, I guess I got bored of owning every Android phone I could get my hands on, which I did at the time. Because they're so cheap. Okay, I'll pass on that one. But yeah, in part, in part, it was easier to swap them, put it that way. I used to swap phones a lot. Um, and I, I just said, uh, I had an opportunity to swap an Android for an iPhone, so I did. And that was an iPhone 5. And since then, I've had a couple of Androids, but mostly stuck with iOS. Um, it just, you reach a point that playing around with your phone becomes boring, which I did reach that point. And then I just wanted something stable and perfect, you know, perfect to use and just did the job really well all the time. And that was iOS and it still is. Yep. Can agree with that. Um, second one, what social networks do you use? I don't. Uh, no, None? No, no. I, I have a stalker account on Twitter, um, which I just use for occasion. For just, women? No, not literally stalker, but it's just called in the sense that I'm anonymous on there. You'd never find me. Um, and I use it just to follow a general feed, you know, when I want to see something or run a search on something, but I rarely use it. Um, never Facebook, not never, but as in never recently Facebook. Um, I do have LinkedIn, obviously, but I don't yeah. know. What's the reason you don't have any social network? except for the stalker account on LinkedIn? They don't, they, they not only do not make my life better, but they actually make it worse. What sense? Um, you have to, which, you know, I have gauged my emotions before and after using these things. And I don't mean that in a holistic sense, like, you know, this week, I mean, like in the moment. Um, and afterwards, I never feel better. It's not like eating an apple, you know, compared to eating chips, you eat chips, you feel like shit compared to eating an apple, maybe you feel good. It, it's that kind of, it, it's like I use social network and I used it. And then afterwards, I never actually felt myself in a better psychological state. Kind of like um, McDonald's or cocaine. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Next. Okay. Um, so where do you prefer to work? I mean, you um, obviously grew up in the 80s. Um, you, your first job was um, in the 90s. Yeah. Did you were ever work in a cubicle? Yeah, man, absolutely. I had and, now, and then the switch to open offices came in like the 2000s, whatever. Yep. So what, what do you prefer of the, of the two? Um, I had a cubicle and, and this is before I was in tech, I worked in, you know, banks and insurance companies and stuff like that. Um, and the cubicle, it did not stop me from socializing with the people sitting near me. We still spoke, we got everything done. Um, but it did give me a, a little bit of, I don't know, I guess a sense of focus that an open office does not give, um, because you don't have the, as much ability to look around and be distracted. Um. So it's safe to say that you prefer the cubicle over the open office, if you have to pick one of the two? Uh, with a gun to my head, I would rather have, I would rather be able to build my own little tower around my desk, yes. Yep. Put a Nerf gun and... Yeah, whatever, just some creative space, put stuff on the, on the. I hate cubicles because they give you this nasty, tacky, dirty impression, but the nice clean glass walls surrounding my desk, I would like to be able to play with them, yeah. Yep. Just, just make it a little bit bigger and call it an office. Yeah, pretty it's much. Easy. Oh, that would also be okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so your favorite tool, Sketch or Figma? Figma. And why? No hesitation there. Um, 
it, it's the collaboration is the first thing I think most people say, and that is absolutely true. Once you collaborate in Figma, um, you can't imagine collaborating uh, or working how you did before with Sketch. Um, shoot me in the face before I have to use as abstract again. Um, you know, you have all of your design files in one place um, and very easily accessible and you can see what other people are working on. And that, that should not be underestimated, the power of that, yeah. um, being able to just jump into Absolutely. anyone's project. Abstract Envision, right? Abstract. In, well, before it was Sketch, Abstract, and Envision. Yep, that was the combination. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And now it's just Figma, and thank God for that. Just Figma. Yeah. Having everything in one tool must like be so much more powerful. Yeah, everything. It... Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say everything that works well in one tool. Yes, um, they're, they're prototyping. It still needs a bit of work, but it's it's just good enough. Exactly. Okay. Um, Next one, how many monitors do you use, mm. actually? Two. Well, the, Two. the laptop screen and an actual monitor. And when designing, what's on both? So my whatever I have in terms of design is on my um, uh, monitor screen, which is quite large. And then right below it in front of me, I use my laptop as a keyboard and second monitor. Um, and on there, I have whatever, whether it's email or whatever I need, you know, a, a photo of a whiteboard that I need to use to uh, to kind of translate to Figma. Okay. Like really a second screen. Like a, yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so you're a self-taught designer, uh, right? Yep. I'm correct. Yep. You studied law and then transitioned into design. Um, so what do you say to the people that say that you aren't qualified at your job without a proper degree? Go fuck yourself. Um, Short answer. A little yeah. bit more elaboration, please. But I, thankfully, I've never had anyone ever say that. Um, and if they did, they would look like total douchebags because at least half of our industry seems to be self-taught. And that includes developers. Um, I've worked with too many devs that have just taught themselves code. Um, so if you said that, basically, yeah, you probably haven't worked in the industry or you're some sort of pretentious asshole. Um I think it's the beauty of technology. And I, I came to that realization um, many years ago uh, when I was starting out. And, I, and I, it occurred to me that with nothing but a, a cheap laptop, I could build a billion-dollar company. And I haven't um, <laughs> for various reasons. But the point is that I could have, and you still can today, with nothing but a laptop. Yeah. And that that's you you find me anything else in this world that empowers you in that way. It's, it's remarkable. It's really remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think like the 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 learning curve could be high like regarding from getting from a designer to being a really great designer but it takes only a laptop that's yeah. it and you could you're good to go yeah um so um when you're working designing um headphones or speakers mm -hmm. um it depends but usually i think headphones because uh, it also blocks out the noise of the kids um especially in these days working from home. So yes, generally headphones. I have a uh, not expensive pair, but a just good enough AliExpress pair with noise cancellation. Um, and they're probably about as good as something twice as expensive. Um, they do the job and I only spent 50 bucks on them. So Exactly. And what kind of music do you listen to? Depends on what I'm doing. Um, if I'm in a if I'm in a focused state, I'll listen to um, Spotify radio, usually like with a track like Einaudi, um, but like radio create similar kind of tracks or similar um, music. So I just listen to that. Um, and if I'm really in a get shit done state, uh, it, it'll be trance or progressive okay. trance. Okay. Yeah. I have a question for you later. You don't have to answer it right now. 
I want to create a uh, Spotify playlist based on this uh, pod podcast episodes. Um, and every guest on the show can um, give the name of one song that they want to uh, be in that playlist. So think about it. And at the end of the show, I will ask you the same question. And we okay. can, you're the first one to put a, put a song into, uh, Shit. In, into the playlist. Uh, it should be for during design work. Okay, for during design work. Yeah. Okay. And it's completely your taste. You don't have to think about all the other designers that are listening or none. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but just think about it. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, so um, think great design, right? Mm. What's the first first digital product that comes to mind? First digital product, great design. Oh, I don't know why I'm drawing blanks. Google Maps. Google Maps. Yep. Why? Uh, because of the incredible utility of it. Um, and it has such an incredibly high degree of complexity, yet it's so very usable at the same time. And it, 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 it's, it is my main reason for wanting to own a smartphone. I mean, the rest of it, I can go without my email, you know, until I get to a laptop or something. Um, even messaging, like it's not urgent that I message most of the people I message. I can do that um, basically anytime, anywhere, but Google Maps, I need. Yeah, and this is also safe to say that that's the most used app on your smartphone? Uh, no, it's it's not, but it's the most important one. The most used is going to be something like a, a WhatsApp or an iMessage, right? Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So uh, on that same topic, um, think great design again. What's the uh, first physical product that comes to mind? Yeah, two two seem to come to mind. Um, one is is a uh, well the first MacBook Pro ever owned in two thousand six, um, and that's you know I probably doesn't need explaining, especially to what would be your audience. Um, other than that, honestly, it's a little Nespresso machine. Um, okay, that's interesting. Let's start with that one. Why? Yeah. So okay, you think about an espresso machine, right? And I'm talking about like one of those little—I don't know how to pronounce it—Krups, Krups, Krups ones, right? Krups, Krups. It's a German. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it 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 has it has such basic functionality. You have a little handle on it, and you look at it, and you're like, okay, the handle. So I grab that, and it does something. And then you play with it, and then suddenly it opens, and you see this little hole, and you go, oh, okay, oh shit, that's where the capsule goes. Easy done, right? And there's no power on button, but there are two little buttons on top. You go, okay, well, apart from the water reservoir, which is obvious what that's for, I hope. Um, but the two little buttons, you go, well, how the fuck do I turn this on? Which is literally what I did. And then you just start playing with them. You press and you're like, oh, oh, shit. Okay, so if I touch this one and just hold it for just a second, it turns on because the light comes on, it tells you that it's on, but it's flashing. So it's communicating something. And then it stops flashing. And the assumption, I think safe assumption, is that it's ready. And which button do you want? Well, there's a picture with a short coffee and there's a picture with a long coffee. It couldn't be um, simpler. You know, the, 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 it's, I don't know. I, I just love the design of it. Cool. Yeah. I think pin machines can learn a lot from um, the design of an espresso machine. Mm. ATMs. Yeah. yeah. Man. Um, so the, um, the MacBook Pro, the first one you owned, 2000 and? Six. Six. Could you describe which one this is? The, um, I can look it up, actually, so we can have a, have a look. Yeah, Sorry it had the uh, it had a little, sounds, but... little metallic button on the speaker uh, on the on the right side, uh, and that was your power button. And it had like a kind of plastic uh, edging around the side of it, and a little little um, button at the front to open the the lid on it. 
um, to open the, the laptop up and then it had a little light on there, a little LED light that would like breathe. Oh, that was the one that like mimics the your sleeping um, uh, exactly. breathing, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It was such a nice touch. So, and I didn't realize it till years later, but yeah. Why yeah. did they take that out, actually? That's a good question. Maybe someone who listens to the podcast knows. but No, but there's no flashing light at all now, right? No. Maybe they, they just found it unnecessary. I mean, if, if you think about it, you go, do I actually need it? Why do I need the flashing light? What is it actually doing for me? Um, Why did they need it? Yeah, exactly. Is it Was it to communicate the laptop was in a sleep state but not actually off? Okay, but do I care? Like, I was the last one to use it, right? So it yeah. actually seems like it might be kind of redundant functionality. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting one. If anyone knows, then please let us know. Mm. Uh, so question number 10. Um, when are you most productive? Mornings or evenings? Depends on the kind of productivity. Creative, creatively, um, late evening. Not even evening. I'm not talking 6 o'clock. I'm talking like you know 9 or 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, so in, in that, because I, I do sleep as early as I can, you know, by 11 usually, but in that hour or an hour and a half, I can get uh, enough creative work done um, to account for, you know, three hours in office time, three or four okay. hours in office time. So um, morning work for you then consists of? Uh, just more mundane shit usually. Or or if I, like you know, emails and whatever meetings I have to do or whatever else. But um, I also find some value in actually getting, like first thing in the morning, getting in a room with um, one of my co-designers, for example, um, and, and really brainstorming around something. And that can also work um, or not, but it depends. But it's nice to get the energy going for the whole day that way as well. So it has other benefits. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so it's safe to say you're an early bird and a um, and a night, not a night owl, but an early bird. Definitely an early bird. Uh, I'm up super early every day. Um, I try and do five thirty, but it ends up usually being more like six. Um, and yeah, uh, get the day started as early as possible. But um, the 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 best work doesn't come till last thing at night for whatever reason. Okay, this is a, this is a question everyone I think on every podcast um, gets. So what's the first app you open up when you wake up in the morning? First, sorry, first, um, uh, yeah, first app on your phone. Depends on the notification I receive. My phone stays in flight mode all night. I don't want those, um, I don't want those waves flying through my head when I'm sleeping. So I keep it on, on uh, flight mode. Um, and when I turn it on, uh, if a notification comes through, that would be well, one that I actually give a shit about, like WhatsApp or something or, or iMessage. That'll be the first one I open. Okay. Yeah. I have the same. I actually leave my phone in the in the kitchen in the charger. Oh wow! I don't what, want any electronics what, on the on the bedroom. What about your clock? Bedroom. How do you know what time it is? You wake up during the night. Don't care. No shit, huh? Yep. What about your alarm? Don't care. You don't have an alarm? Nope. Ha! Body clock? Nope. Nothing. This is like a... natural natural light. I mean, is there a wake I, up I, time? Do you I know from time? the. Let me say it like this. The the last time I overslept was like 10 years ago. Okay. It's also because my, sleep's, my sleep quality has decreased over the last 10 years insanely. So that also helps. But um, every, every morning I wake up, I look at the curtains and there's this little um, a glow of light around the court curtains, which makes me like, oh, now it's about 7, 8. And of course, when daylight savings comes, then I'm totally fucked. But... Other than that, 
I always wake up between seven to eight, seven, eight thirty. No shit, huh? Kind of like yeah. kind of like old school style because that's I mean old school. They, that's what they had to do, right? Hence they would yeah. sleep when the when the sun went down and wake up. Well, I think that's what sleep therapists also say. Like, try to remove every piece of electronica from your uh, from your bedroom. Not not necessarily for like the gamma waves before we go all five uh, um, G, um, you know, Reddit style theoretically about what that, that does to your brain. But I think just like having no electronics, and like no, keep the bedroom for sleeping and everything that has to do with sleeping. Well, that, that's. I mean that's problematic for me if I'm on a laptop doing my creative work till yeah. eleven. Um, that that's all. I don't take machinery or electronics into the bedroom. I I even don't read in the bedroom. My see, girlfriend yeah. does, but and uh, she does have her phone, but I don't. But I find it. I find it almost. I don't know if irony is the right word. If it's ironic, but it it's it is funny. Not haha funny. But anyway, the point is that it's strange that um, you do that and still have decreasing sleep quality well it's getting a little bit better but yeah if i if i read in bed now then i know for sure that my night's going to be awful and it's about it's about training the mind to like let go right that's that's what sleep is basically is Mm -hmm. learning to let go of everything so your body naturally falls asleep because you can't train sleeping you just have to ease into letting go and I've experienced that letting go means um, having the bedroom as a place where I sleep. So I also only go to the bedroom when I'm sleepy. Because I'm, if I'm going to lie in bed awake and I'm going to just like lie there, eyes open, that doesn't work. There's also a question of what your routine is before going to bed. Um, well, it's an interview with Toma, but I'll gladly answer his question. Um, I usually uh, stop eating at least three hours before mm. I uh, stopped drinking, I think like one and a half or two hours before going to bed. And, um, I try to not watch, um, like, uh, really, uh, intense TV shows or movies before going to bed. Mm. Mm. So we're, uh, we're watching Homeland now. If I do that, be, like just before going to bed, that doesn't work doesn't help you're playing catch-up homeland kind of ended didn't it yep well dutch television so it's like i think a week or four behind okay yeah um so final question um of these 11 questions who had the most influence as a designer on you so as a designer which designer had the most influence on you so um I went back to Australia uh, before moving to the Netherlands. I was there for a year and a bit. And, and I got a job with a um, really good design agency there uh, called Fusion. And uh, the director of that agency is the answer to that question. His name is Damien Mayer, um, M-A-I-R. Why is this? So he, he's one of those people that is, I can't say was, is so smart that you'd almost, he's like borderline autistic smart, right? Um, but also very, um, extremely passionate about design and has the absolutely correct values. And you had never met anyone like him, or at least I hadn't. I hadn't met anyone like him. Uh, I didn't even know people like him existed. And they do, I know that now because I've met more since then, but he was the first one. And I, when I started in the job, 
he, he brought me into work on a, on a, a banking project that just won. It was a big project. Um, and I, at the time, was still developing and had a hell of a lot to learn. And I actually applied for a senior role, think, actually thinking I was a senior. And he said to me, look, when he offered me a job, he said, look, but you're not a senior. You know, I, I know you think you probably are, but I'm telling you you're not. And therefore, he actually paid me as a media as well. Um, and, you know. Smart move. It, well, in hindsight, he couldn't have been more correct. And I learned that after working with him because then I realized that whatever I thought I knew actually wasn't that much and that good. Um, but when I started in the job, it, it, it's it's a great story and one that I've used, you know, as personal inspiration since. But he let me go for a couple of weeks, you know, he gave me a, an assignment and he let me sit at my desk and just work. What kind and, of assignment was this? Do you know? Uh, I had to think about the design of um, this internet banking um and just sketch it out design it um he didn't really give clear directions he said look get to work on it you know you know what you need to design go do it and for a couple of weeks i'm working on it and i was working really hard and thinking that I, I i was doing something great um and then after two weeks he came up and he said hey how's it going with it i said oh yeah you know gave him a really quick look and he said All right, come with me and he pulled me in a room and he said look he said i left you alone for two weeks to see how you work not because I actually wanted to or anything. He said, because I want to get a feel for how you think and how you work. And from that point, he just started very professionally giving me a lot of shit about um, my process, the way that I thought, um, the design that I created, which was absolute horse shit. I mean, if someone presented that to me today, I would, I would not probably go easy on them either. Um, and he schooled me, sat me in a room for two and a half hours and he just schooled me. It wasn't, he gave me shit for like the first five or 10 minutes, right? But the rest of the time was him walking me through the way he would, he would have thought about it and he, the way he thinks about things and, you know, thinking about users, like shit that I'd never heard of before, like to that point anyway, it was like, you know, and he's like sketching the entire time because he's a very visual guy, sketching the entire time and he's like, you know, and what about your users? You got to think, you know, who, who, who would come to a login for internet banking, for example, when you try and give answers like, oh, you know, some bank customer or whatever. And he's like, okay, what about hackers? Huh? What? A hacker, right? A hacker would come to this page potentially, right? And what, you know, what, what matters in that? Like, what's the connection between a hacker and this page? What yeah. do you want to communicate? Which to you and me, you probably hear that now. You go, okay, maybe something around the security level or something. I don't know, but you would think of things, but he would think, and he taught me to think of all these different angles that had never occurred to me before. Um, and, and working there for a year, I just learned stuff that to this day made me a completely different designer. Much, much, much better one. Cool. So uh, I think that's a good transition into um, some of your work experience. You've got some interesting names on your portfolio. One of them being Booking.com, the world's largest e-commerce travel company, if I'm still correct. Mm -hmm. um you've spent more than two years there yep two years yep. to the day two years to the yep. day yep. as if timed and you um and you moved from italy to the netherlands for that um yep. um why did you join booking was it the money amsterdam uh when we decided to move back to europe we do not have eu passports uh, and i stationed myself in italy for the three month schengen visa time that i had while i looked for work and I was actually looking for Germany and booking had crossed my path um, on the job hunt and I'd ignored it, uh, especially because they seemed to want designers who coded. And while I knew a little bit of HTML and CSS, I fucking hate the idea that designers have to code. Um, 
and maybe that, that question's answered. Okay, <laughs> um, but I can go into detail on that one uh, all day. Uh, but, you know, eventually it reached a point. I saw it again. And at that point, I'm a man who looks at signs. And this this kept crossing my path. Or maybe you just say that's the algorithm. But either way, um, I had the emotion that maybe I should apply for it. Um, so I did. Amsterdam had never occurred to me. Booking had never occurred to me. But I did. And um, they were the ones who responded. And I came in. And it went really well and very, very smoothly, which to me is always a positive thing. Um, and I had a fairly... So how did this hiring process go? You said very smoothly. Well, it was, uh, I can't remember the exact process, but I do remember there being a Skype interview. And then I remember there being, um, there was a coding test as well, um, which I jumped on Glassdoor and I got all of the answers for, and I knew exactly and I prepared perfectly for it. So it was super easy to, to, to okay. um, scam basically, um, which is really fucking stupid on their part. Um, and then they flew me over to Amsterdam for an in-person interview. Um, and that Including was, hotel? Yeah, hotel, um, flights uh, f- uh, from Florence, I think it was at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, that was uh, on a Thursday. And then they asked me back on the Friday morning for a follow-up. Uh, and then they kept me there and gave me an offer um, while I was still in the office. And you accepted immediately? Uh I didn't. I didn't. Um, I but I took it uh, with a smile, knowing that I would accept it. That it, it was good enough in every way, and plus my my visa was very quickly expiring, so it was quite serendipitous. I felt, um, but you know, I, I left there and I told my wife and friends immediately um, that I'd be moving to Amsterdam. So, and was your wife happy with this? Oh, of course. It was it was it was a great relief um, because I was looking at like maybe I have to like go to Croatia for a few months or some shit. They weren't in the EU at the time just to get around yeah. the Schengen, you know. Was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, we talked about culture earlier, um, Dutch culture and what's good and what's bad about it. So uh, what was the culture shock going from um, working in uh, in an agency in Italy to joining the Booking.com culture, I believe? At that time, there were 100 plus designers. Uh, no, I think I was around the 80th or something. Okay. Yeah, uh, which I don't know now. It's significantly higher than that. Um, but so from this creative agency in Australia with this genius director and um, surrounded by colors and creative people and a and a and a room where you could go and because they used to also do advertising and go and have like just nothing but creative assets all around you. Um, to a company that didn't give two shits about creativity, um, culture shock would be an understatement. Um, okay, it was, and, and I remember, I remember day one, just like going, okay, this this doesn't feel good, but maybe it's just me. Um, and okay, okay, yeah. So um, follow up to that, like, what did you learn at Booking? Doesn't have to be good, can also be bad, and uh, yeah. So in general, because you mentioned big culture shock, yeah. didn't feel right. How did that story continue? Um, well, I learned how... Uh, oh shit, look, there are a lot of lessons. I'm trying to prioritize them in my, in my brain for the purpose of storytelling. But um, I certainly learned that those stories you hear, I think first and foremost, those stories that you hear sometimes of um, really bad stories about certain places and certain people, and, and you haven't experienced it and you think um, that... Nah, it can't be. People aren't actually like that in this world. Like, I don't know people who would do shit like this, right? Like bad shit or whatever. 
and then you experience it. You, what were the bad stories you heard about booking then? I hadn't heard any. I hadn't heard any. Um, I, I don't. I didn't mean about booking. I mean about just in life, right? Like you hear, like, oh, you know, don't don't yeah. work at that place. They're a bunch of fucking backstabbers and shit. Like, it. it you don't believe it because I never experienced. I never experienced what I would consider um, actual people doing evil. Um, but I did with booking, and then that's. I don't mean to speak generalistically. It's certainly not the case. But there, there really are, or were in my time at least, some very, very bad actors there, um, and I got to experience them firsthand. Um, okay. So that was the first lesson: how to actually deal with those people. And how do you cope with that? With that? Um. Yeah. Uh. Very, very assertively. Um. It, it's. It was very much in my nature to fight, fight for design, I think, first and foremost, which is actually what got me in a lot of trouble because they didn't want people fighting for design. Um, they wanted people to just bend over, basically. Um, <laughs> that's not me. Um, I firmly believe in design. I believe in, 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 in the value that it delivers. Um, and I do, I do not believe that it's more important than development or anything else. Like, that's just not fair. It's not a fair perspective. It, there's a balance between business, you know, code, design users there's a there's a balance there we live in a in a, in a world where things um we're in an ecosystem whatever we're doing there's a system at play um but to not give any value to design and to be someone that actually fights for design and receive no value and in fact have it put down um i did not respond well okay so um was this the reason you eventually left booking after two years uh it, it was more about No, because I was happy to keep fighting. Um, and I had wonderful, some really wonderful people around me supporting uh, also what I wanted to do. And they shared my views and opinions, but we were a minority. But it was enough there and enough strong characters um, and wonderful people. And there really are some wonderful people working there even now that I know. Um, enough there to keep me going and to feel that I had a family and, and support around me and I would support them. There was enough there. There really was. And I, and okay. I, could, I could have lasted longer. Um, but it was, I think it was that earlier thing around just seeing some really and experiencing some really, really fucked up shit, really fucked up shit that just shouldn't happen. So, and then you moved on to um, join Bugaboo. For those of you who don't know what Bugaboo is or does, um, are they the biggest solar company in the world? Mm. I don't think they're the biggest, but um, arguably the best. Yeah. And, and much more design-focused um, than, I think, a lot of the other companies, right? Yeah, um, one of few companies in the world with a chief design officer, and that says yeah. a lot. So you joined there and became digital strategist. So for, I think, a lot of people who are listening and asking ourselves, what the fuck is a digital strategist? Could you please clarify? Yeah, it depends on the context. Uh, at Bugaboo, uh, basically, I was working, you know, I, was, I can't throw the number out there, but let's just say a large percentage of their sales were, were offline uh, offline retailers and they needed um, to really digitalize their operations. And that's an extremely hard thing to do when your most of your revenue is dependent on, on third-party retailers. Um, so I spent a lot of time just working with marketing and um, sales and, and, and um, obviously within the digital team as well, just looking at how we could... Um, create a strategy around their digital operations. Yeah. So it's safe to say less production work, more um, strategizing, going into meetings, sketching, that sort of stuff? Uh, I was doing both. I was still doing both. Um, there was a, a balance. Um, 
no, I was probably still about 60% production work at that stage. Um, but digital strategist in an agency context, which is what I do now, is actually uh, quite different. Okay. That. And how did this transition go? Because you mentioned um, your time at Booking was not the, the best time career-wise. Uh, yeah. How was it to join a design-led company after being at Booking? It was nice. It, it was truly a relief because you could speak about design. Oh, well, firstly, I learned a hell of a lot about marketing. I was actually in the marketing team officially. Um, so I was smack bang in it and I learned a lot about marketing. And I also learned a lot about industrial design. I met their industrial designers and we would have talks and stuff like that. Um, so it was really, really nice and refreshing. Um, I think the downside of it, which I didn't anticipate and I probably should have, um, was the impact of not working in then a digital company. Um, they were not a digital first company. Um, obviously, they you know, they create. Um, yeah. Strollers. Do you feel that you're on an island then in a in such a company? Um, define what do you mean by island? Like, well, the, it's you kind of feel left alone, and um, there's no real support from the entire company in what you're doing. It wasn't so much that, but it's that you you're then going from fighting for design, which I was doing at Booking to fighting for, uh, well, not fighting for, but being having to be an advocate for digital, um, yep. which is, again, something I hadn't experienced before because I'd always worked within digital. So now you're actually having to advocate for digital. Um, and there weren't people pushing back on it, but you're always having to help push it forward. Yeah. Um, it was quite the contrast in that, in that respect. Yeah. Um, and then you only spent a year there. Why did you leave eventually? Because, because of this? No, 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 far from it. No, 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 nothing to do with that at all. Uh, they were bought by Bain Capital um, and the writing was on the wall um, when you get a company like that by a company like Bugaboo. Um, like, okay, they, they, when, when Bain Capital bought the company, I was still there, um, you know, they give a presentation and one of the dudes giving the presentation, I can't remember his exact word, but he was from Bain Capital, I can't remember his exact words, but he said something to the effect of, which everyone in the room understood to the effect of they would be turning the company around in five years. Yeah, turning right, around meaning I'm, you're fucking fired. Well, meaning we're going to do some shit and then we're going to hopefully sell it at a profit within five years. So yeah. whatever happens between now and then is going to be us squeezing every last penny out of it. Um, and the writing was on the wall, but that still wasn't the reason that I that I left. I didn't go looking for other work, but um, the stars aligned. And I, I was just having a casual chat with a neighbor one day, and she worked at a, uh, a nice agency with a nice culture. Um, and she asked me if I'd like to go in and have a chat with them. Um, so I did. And that's where I am to this to this day, um, which yes. is We Are You. Yep. We Are You, right? Yeah. So that... Um... So that's after you left Bugaboo. Uh, am I correct to say that We Are You focuses um, mostly on the fintech space? Fintech space? No. When I joined, uh, it was um, VA, which was uh, specialized. We were an agency called VA, which was specialized in fintech. Um, and we merged with some other agencies around the Netherlands and formed We Are You. So my office, which is the Amsterdam office, still specializes, but we, we have a sectors, sector approach. So we, we focus on sectors um, like energy, for example, yeah. as well. And it depends on the office you're in, but I'm in, I'm in the fintech office. So um, what do you say to those people, including me, that say, well, fintech, kind of boring. Why would I work in fintech except for the money? Yeah, I'd say that, What firstly, what money? Um, it's the same money as everywhere else. It, it, you're doing your job as you would anywhere else. But um, no, it, it, you'd be very, very mistaken. Very, very mistaken. Fintech is a, a very hot industry. Uh, and there are a lot of very, very big challenges within fintech and design challenges. Okay. Lots of so 
I'm going to clock you now. You have 30 seconds to pitch the fintech industry starting right about now. Okay. Um, you want to work on something that impacts every single person alive. And that that's the holy grail. That's the, that's the you know, nothing can be more impactful than that. Money impacts every single person alive, the way they manage their money, what they do with their money, um, how they think about money, most importantly. Uh, and if you can help there, you can help everybody. Great. That's 30 seconds. Great pitch. I might use this as an excerpt for the when I try to promote the podcast or fintech or just get me a new job. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so um, what's your next, next step going to be after this? Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't even plan to be where I am. Um, life has led me where it's led me. Um, coincidences have happened uh, repeatedly. There's not an and... industry that you think like, oh, I really want to work in. I don't know, like sp space technology or, I don't know. No, not really. Not really. Um, I'm. I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing. Um, it. It, it could very well be um, my own startup. I, I truly do not know. I, I actually don't know. I'm just making that up because you asked the question, but I don't know. But it, it needs to be um, challenging, whatever it is. Okay. That's a, that's a fair answer. I mean, I think some people plan their whole lives and some people just like go with the flow. And I think you're more of the of the latter, right? I, I'm definitely the latter. Um, life, as, as I was alluding to a second ago, um, presents coincidences. Uh, and I see those and... I run with them and they have never once led me astray. The, the exact most recent example uh, work-wise was, as I said, my neighbor. Um, at the time that I had the thought of maybe looking for a new job, maybe looking, you know, leaving Bugaboo, um, my neighbor, I just ran into her and she's a lovely lady and we had a chat um, and, you know, it, it just presented itself and I saw that as a coincidence and it, it's been a very happy one. Yeah. Yeah, that make. I, I mean, I think a lot of people try to plan their career and then it just happens. And then these things happen. Um, so there's something else I wanted to talk to you about. I did my research and I found an article um, that I read, which you were quoted in, which is called, and I'm translating this from Dutch, uh, design is measurable. Mm. Um, very clickbait, if I'm very honest. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to read out loud a quote from you. Uh, Use design thinking to solve a problem and the ideas that will follow are more often more innovative than with a traditional approach. It also makes you collaborate more efficient. This will lead to better results and will reduce risk. So is this something you learned at uh, booking.com? Because booking.com, it's, it's renowned for its testing culture. Um, so where did you develop this skill around design thinking? And uh, how would how was that visible for you at booking.com? Yeah, the, the skill of design thinking, by the way, I don't, still don't remember making that quote. Um, I genuinely don't. And I didn't write that article, so I don't know. Um, but uh, design thinking, I learned working at Fusion. Um, uh, and I learned that from my director. Um, he was the one who first really introduced me to that. He didn't call it that. This was pre, you know, IDEO popularized this days. Um, it's just something that he did. It was just the way that he thought. And he taught that to me. He taught me how to think differently. Um, Booking.com, is design measurable? I mean, in a, in a, in a manner of speaking, yes, uh, whether it be quantifiable or, or qualitative. Um, 
quantitative rather or qualitative? Yes, sort of. Um, creativity itself, though, is not measurable. No. So, but at Booking.com, they they are renowned for, as I mentioned, their testing culture. So they they test everything. So they probably also test design. So, what's your opinion on this A/B testing um, in general and A/B testing design? Yeah, it's it's good if you do it intelligently. Um, it it's as with anything horrible if you do it blindly. Uh, Booking do it blindly, and and they let it they let it take over any sense of actual um, intelligence or thought. Um, if you if you want to develop a a testing culture, if you want a culture that um, values data. And, and, you know, really uses data to help um, guide decisions. The word, the, the power is in the word guide. Um, data should not be making your decisions for you. Booking, let it make the decisions for them. For them. If, if they say, if you're, if you're having an argument with someone and you can't settle the argument, okay, well, let's, let's test it. Okay, but this is an intelligent argument we're having, right? This is something that goes beyond just a number. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very, very dangerous culture um if you let it run wild yeah and devil's advocate here like why is it bad to let data be the the decider in a decision well i mean i I can only lean on a cliche here and say that it doesn't tell you the why right it can be and and it certainly cannot and does not predict and is the why always important the why of course it is it's extreme it it is you know why do we live what is the purpose of life We have to have a why for doing something. We have to have a why for doing something. Um, And and if not... But also if if your goal is making more profit, and that is exactly what you're getting with letting data run your decisions, more profit. Mm -hmm. Then you end up with a shitty product like Booking.com. And that's what happens. Because if, if you... All right. Okay, you, you, if you do a, a, if you have a testing culture, right? And what you say is, okay, if we have people run, um, if we have people run 10 experiments a day um, each, say, I don't know, make it less. That's a bit absurd. Let's say, let's say 10 experiments a month, okay? They run 10 experiments a month. And we know that maybe one of these will actually test positive for conversion and that equates to this much money and we see an ROI on that person's salary, Okay. That's all that you care about. And that's why you would ask designers to code, for example. Because the designers, if they can code, they can pump experiments out quicker. The more experiments they pump out, the higher our ROI, then we make more money. And who gives a fuck about design or actually delivering value to the end user, right? Because the data speaks for us. And then you end up with a shitty product. Then you end up with free cancellation written eight times down a single page. Shit like that. It, it, it's... You need to think, man. And designers, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Designers are paid to think. That's that. That's we cannot commoditize design in the way that you can. You know, you can't have an algorithm designed for you in the way that a person can, because we are paid to think, and we have that unique ability, and that is creativity, and that is what makes each designer unique is their ability to think. When I interview designers, I want to know how they think. That's the most important thing to me. Uh, and if they can't think, I don't want to hire them. If they can think, how do they think? What makes them unique? What makes them special? If you're running that sort of a culture and you're not having people think and you're just having the data think for them, then then it's not, firstly, it's not a design culture, it's not delivering value, and it, ultimately it's a shitty culture. You create okay. shitty products. So thinking is the most important. Do you, do you, th- how much do you think when you're on the basketball court? That's the funny thing. 
in my younger days, it was all energy and passion. Um, and I wouldn't think much. I would just play hard, right? And it would kind of work and I was kind of good. Um, in my, these days, because I'm kind of old and I don't move that fast, I think all the time. I'm always thinking. And a lot of times my game, I can never have the athleticism, but my game is almost as good. Uh, as it used to be, sometimes even better, uh, just because I can think and I have just enough skill left to actually play a little bit. Um, so you're yeah. still you're still playing now? Yeah. yeah, apart from the whole COVID thing, but up until the week before uh, the shutdown, yeah, still balling, still balling. Every week? Most weeks. And who you're uh, playing with? Colleagues, friends? Uh, actually, <laughs> funnily enough, booking.com people, uh, probably half of us are booking.com people and the other half uh, are people who have joined the group, um, in, from various places. Um, but yeah, it's social ball. It is social ball. Um, but a really good bunch of people, uh, some good ballers there too. What are the parallels you draw between like, because you mentioned like you're thinking now way more than you did when you were a kid and playing basketball, can you draw parallels between sports? Um, or basketball specific and your design work and that way that that went uh, from physical to, to think more is that the same thing the same process in design kind of yeah it, it to me it's basketball and life um the beautiful thing with sport is like in, in life it's say in an office environment you can hide who you are um, and that's how you end up with politics, how you end up with shifty people is because they, they, they have time, they can buy time for decisions, they can buy time to think about how they want to play this, right? How they want to do certain things and how they want to strategize whatever their next move is. They have time. If you take that and you compress it and you make, you, you give no time and you have to make quick decisions now, you have to react quickly now, um, you start to see who people are and you, you either you you move ahead quicker you, everything gets compressed conflicts get compressed you know in short amounts of time mm -hmm. things come out truth comes out and that's how it is in a basketball court you don't have time to think you have to think quick you have to move quick if the team has chemistry it will show there's no hiding yeah. it and your decision making will tell what kind of person you are exactly that so you'll see dudes on the courts we have new new people come out and sometimes you see them um and you know maybe it's a ball hog or maybe it's somebody who um, loves to pass, you know, the opposite end of that. Um, but you, you see who people are very, very quickly. You need to just play a game with them and you yeah. can see. And I think that's the beautiful thing about something like a startup culture, for example, is that it's kind of like sport where you, you, you compress all of that shit into it and you put urgency on things and you see who people are very quickly and you either make or break. Yeah, I think it's... it. It's obvious also why there are so many sports analogies that are applicable to to life and and design and work in general, right? Absolutely. I, mean, I, I know a famous American you also know who wouldn't shut up about sports analogies, like baseball reference here, golf reference here, basketball reference there. Hmm. It's because yes. like it's so compressed, right? Everything basketball is four quarters. Yep. Like everything happens in four quarters and decision making, how do you collaborate? All those things happen in, in like a compressed way. And when you go to the office, you have way more time. So you have way more time to think, to uh, communicate your message in, in such a way. Mm -hmm. That's and, completely and true. That, that, that's why I think it's very important to put uh, deadlines on people um, and have a sense of urgency uh, uh, when you do things because you really want to get to truth quickly. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Tama, for um, 
taking the time to uh, go through this, uh, go to your life basically with me. Um, leave me with two more questions. The one you already knew because I already asked it. Uh, which song do you want me to add to the playlist? First one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Um, it's either going to be a, a, a maybe Paul Van Dyke for an angel. Go with the classic. Paul Van Dyke for an angel. Cool. I think so. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I will add that to the list. It's also got the the piano. It's a little bit of you know Einaudi influence in there, but you know a little bit of a mix of the the two categories that I mentioned. So cool. So um, last question would be: uh, if you could invite anyone on the show, who would it be? Anyone? Anyone? Yep. Uh, Prefer be alive, but that is also possible. All right. Um, I'm going to go with my former director, Damien Mayer. Damien Mayer. Do you think he, he would be up for it? I don't know. I reckon I reckon he might. The least you can do is ask. I will. Um, you know, he's a man with a, a busy life and kids, but um, if you can get him on, you'll see what I'm talking about very quickly. Yeah. I will um, give him I will give him um, a link to this podcast first to see, uh, see what he thinks about your appraisal. Oh, um, cool. Cool. Uh, just just uh, likely that he because he, he he's thirty years in the industry and he's seen a lot like, of people. Who the fuck is like, hey, Exactly. Who? Huh? Who? Oh, oh, that fucking guy. Oh, yeah. No, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Cool. So thank you again for um, taking your time. It was a pleasure talking to you as always, and um, we'll uh, we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Thank you, man. Be well.